want to talk to you about some things in particular, about the days that we're in really right now. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said in the last days, and I, I think we're in last days, whether Jesus comes in my lifetime or not, whether he comes in this generation or not, here's what all of us know. This is our final generation. You don't get another one. And so for us, these are the last days. <laughs> and here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said in the last days there would be perilous times. It doesn't take uh, much time at all, just a little review of any newspaper, and you find that there is a lot of perilous situations going on all over the world. In fact, I say it often, I've probably said it here before, but if you personally are the worrying kind of person, these are great days for you. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> Because you have so many options of such important things to worry about. I mean, you could worry about the politics, or you could worry about the economies of the world. You could worry about the vacillating Canadian dollar. You could worry about the stock markets, the financial institutions, the banks. Or if it's not a financial thing, you could worry about the latest and new diseases that have been coming on the scene that medical society doesn't really have answers for at this stage. Viruses that they don't seem to have found an antibiotic that can address it or any kind of help. Now that would be worth worrying about if you were the worrying kind. What if I get it? Isn't that what people think of first? <laughs> You don't think of anybody else. You just think of yourself. But if, he, if you're not worrying about that, you could even worry about why it is or how it is they've come to find the remnant of pharmaceutical drugs in the ice of Antarctica. Now, that's never going to affect your life. <laughs> but so often we worry about things that will never affect our life. And so instead of worrying about the perilous times that we're in, instead of being disgusted with the world, oh, it's just such a pit, I hate it, we can begin to focus really on what God's Word designed for us to focus on, and that was the answer in our personal life to the perilous days that we're in. And there are answers. Glory to God. But it takes courage. It takes real courage to actually focus on what God has said when there is so much evidence around us that tries to tell us that God's word is not going to work this time or in this situation. It takes a lot of courage to get your eyes off of a disease that has attacked your body and get your eyes over onto what God has said that brings healing and health to your body. It takes a lot of courage to do that. It takes a lot of courage that in the face of financial trouble or a financial crisis in your own life or not having enough money at the end of the month, it takes a lot of courage to look at God's promise for provision and embrace that above the pressure that you're under. 
Being a real believer, a disciple of Jesus is not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the weak. It is not for those looking for a crutch in life. It's for those who are not willing to just have life imposed on them, but for those who are ready to rise up and impose God's will on every part of their life. It takes real courage to be that kind of believer. And every one of us have to make the decisions as to what kind of believer we personally are going to be. What kind of believer are you? Some believers are barely believers. Many believers are what I call unbelieving believers in that they do believe in God. They believe in the Bible. They can rarely find their Bible, but they do believe in it. They don't know what it says, but they like whatever they think it says. They quote things that they hope are scriptural ideas as if they are the word of God hoping that anything they say has enough religious sound to it that who they're talking to believes that they know what they're talking about. Now, you're not like that because you're in this church. Actually, that does not qualify you automatically, but I'm just going to go ahead and believe the best. It just takes courage to be the kind of believer that stands up to pressure. And doesn't cave in. The kind of believer that stands on what God says, even in the face of contradicting circumstances. And all of us face contradicting circumstances. Everybody does. Everybody faces things that try to tell us that God's promises are not going to work for you this time. This is going to be too tough. This is too big. And yet, God does the biggest miracles every single day. There's nothing new about God doing the supernatural. And so what we can lock in on is that God will work in us if we will stand with him. And so here in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, did I tell you chapter 40? Chapter 40 is what I believe to be some of the strongest and most powerful insights and concise ideas to help us stand when we feel weak. You know, Nobody likes to admit that they're in a, in a time of feeling weak. Nobody likes to feel weak. And yet, that really is the goal of every strategy hell designs against you, to make you first feel inadequate, too weak to be able to stand up against what's happening right now. But the real truth of it is that God's deposited in every single believer more than enough substance to not only be able to stand, but to be able to conquer any issue that comes. Every believer has to decide that they will live the conquering, victorious life. And I believe that's why you're in church this morning, because you've made that decision. But if you haven't, it's not too late. Service won't be out for a short time now, and you can make that decision now. But I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 29. I'm going to be using the New King James Bible, which very likely is the Bible King James would use were he alive today. <laughs> if he was even interested in being in church. <laughs> and that is the major question. But Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, says he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. 
Young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, everybody say wait. wait. Those who wait on the Lord shall, what shall? Renew their strength. We're going to talk about a lot of these individual words. We're going to pick this thing apart because there is some powerful things in it. But then he says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's what God says to the weak. He said, something's going to happen in that weak person, anybody, where they will run and not be weary. Even though they feel weary, they're going to run and not be weary. And they are going to walk and they will not cave in and faint. God's got some ideas and plans for people, every one of us, no matter how weak we feel in any situation. Now, look, I don't, I don't think for a minute that I'm talking to a house full of weak people. That's not the point at all. But every person, every believer, faces a strategy from hell itself to try to undermine any sense of confidence, any sense of faith, any sense that God's going to do anything in their life. And yet God's got this idea, man. He said, I've got more than enough of what it takes to empower you. And if you'll just take it, you're going to run like you've always wanted to. And, you're, and he uses these various metaphors. They're really cool. You're going to fly like an eagle. <laughs> Glory to God, man. Now, look, I've never been an eagle. You probably knew that. But, um, <laughs> but however it is they fly, this has got to be good. Yeah. You know, there is a... There is a uh, a friend of mine who has studied eagles, a man named Cole Stringer in Australia, he's studied eagles, lots of people have. He's written a, a really cool book about eagles. And one of the things that eagles can do, a lot of you know this already, but there is a, an ability that eagles have to lock their wings in place in such a way that when they are hitting those heavy winds and thermals, it doesn't throw them. It doesn't, it doesn't bring them down. They just lock their wings and they end up flying higher. There are airline pilots that tell of the times they have seen eagles up at altitude when those jets are, are flying. I mean, I don't know how high these critters can go, but it's a lot higher than you can. But what is it that gives them the capacity that other other uh, birds don't seem to have. They lock those wings in place. And the wind of adversity just is not going to bring them down. If anything, it's going to launch them higher. Glory to God, I like that idea. Because the winds of adversity come. All of us know it. We've all had it. You don't have to believe for it. It's not just about your confession. It just comes. It happens. But the courageous have discovered how to lock their wings in place, so to speak. And regardless of the kind of adversity that comes, they're going to find out how to ride that thing higher rather than be crushed and thrown to the ground by it. Oh, I like these pictures God gives us. But I want to back up into verse 29, and I want us to look at a few of these words individually just for a moment and grab some, some truth out of these Hebrew words that, uh, that we read in English here, but there's just a few extra concepts that I, I think help us understand the power of what God's saying. He says he gives power 
to the weak. He gives power to be firm, energized, have inner life or vigor, strength, and sometimes that Hebrew word is even used for wealth. He gives strength, power, energy, wealth to the weak. All of those words are words I like. This is what God gives, and this is what God's deposited in us. He's deposited the strength and the life and the energy on the inside of us that when any kind of weakness comes, we have what it takes. You got to draw on it. You got to look in the right direction for this to really kick in, so to speak. You can't be focused on the wrong things and think you're going to get the energy or life out of what's deposited in you. But when you put your eyes on the things that God's given to you, it unlocks the energy and power that's in it. And that's what we're after. He gives power to the weak, to the exhausted, to the tired, to the worn out. There is a strategy that Satan has used effectively for decades, for centuries, against people in, in the body of Christ, and that is to just wear you out. Just find a way to wear you out. Just keep hammering on you in one area. You know, Satan doesn't look for our strengths to fight us in that out of a position of strength. No, he's looking for our weakest point. Oh, he's always looking for what you have maybe caved in on in the past. And that's where he's going to strike again. You know, devil, the word devil is actually not a name. We call Satan the devil, and the scripture calls and uses that terminology. It's perfectly correct. But I want you to see it's really not a, a name. It's a job description. Not that God has given him that job. Don't take it that way. But it is a, a description really of how he handles his plan. And it gives this idea, devil refers to one who continues to strike repeatedly. And that is how Satan gains access so many times. He hits the same spot, bam, over and over, hitting that one target over and over until he's weakened it to the point that he can break through and penetrate and gain access to something that really is not his, to steal, kill, and destroy. He does it by that continual hitting. You ever had somebody just poke you? You know, they don't even have to poke you that hard. But if it's in the same spot, aren't you glad you sat here? <laughs> you hit that same spot over and over, and it's like, come on. That hurts. Ah, you wimp, you know, it's just my thumb. But it's the same spot over and over. You okay? He's all right. Okay. So nobody be concerned. No animals were hurt in this demonstration. <laughs> Satan will just keep hitting at you, looking for a way to wear you out. A way to get you to cave in, a way to get you to give up, to change your focus, to let go of your covenant, to drop your guard, to find a reason to tell you that it's okay to do something that you know is not okay. 
If there's some way he can gain access, he will create a weakness in you by continuing to hammer at that same spot. When we know his trick, when we know his game, it's so much easier to deal with it. But you still do have to deal with it, man. I mean, in the end, just knowing it doesn't mean it's going to help you until you really deal with it that way. And recognize that is the game Satan's playing, and I'm not, I'm not going to buy into it. God gives power to the weak. What else does he say? And to those who have no might, he increases strength. To those who have no might or ability or power or strength. It's not the identical word, but it still has the same idea as power. To those who have no might. They don't have that sense of being able to stand up against this pressure. He said, to those who have no might, he will increase their strength. God's all about increase, and he's ready to supply to us that, that ability to stand even under pressure. A lot of people are under pressure these days. Pressure comes from a lot of different places. Some of it comes from the outside. Pressure on the job, pressure from the boss, pressure from family, pressure from a variety of outside situations. But there's a lot of other pressure that comes from the inside. Pressure over conflict that I'm still dealing with. Pressure over past issues that I've carried all of my life. Pressure over a variety of things can be on the inside. They can be on the outside. Satan's looking for any kind of pressure that he can take advantage of. He really doesn't care what it is. If he can just find some place to penetrate into our life, then that's his goal and we are his target. So he give, God gives power to the weak. He gives might to those who have no might or strength to those who have no might. But then... I want you to notice this next verse, verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. That is such a powerful statement. You've heard it so many times. But I want to I unwrap something really big in this. Because the idea of waiting on the Lord has been somewhat misconstrued with some people because a lot of folks are waiting on God just like you might wait at the airport for the airplane. Or wait for the bus. I don't know if you would wait for buses all that much here. But in some, you know the concept. I don't often wait for a bus. But every once in a while, in London, I've waited for buses. Some cities, you know how it is. You understand the idea. Some people, they sit down. What are we doing? We're waiting. What are you waiting for? Well, I'm waiting for the bus. This is the bus stop. And for some people, they, their idea of waiting on God is just, I'm just waiting. Hands in the pockets. Just waiting. We're waiting for God to show up. We're waiting for God to come through. We're waiting for God to finally get around to my situation. We're waiting for God to see fit to do whatever it is we've been waiting on. We're just waiting. And that's really not the idea that he's talking about here in Isaiah at all. Waiting on God is not waiting, like waiting on people or waiting on the bus or waiting on the airplane. You know, we spent, Vic and I, in all of our travels, all of these years, uh, we've spent a lot of time waiting. You rush in order to wait. You hurry to get there so that once you're there, you can wait. But you're in the right place for waiting. Travel is all about waiting. Restaurants are all about waiting. You wait to be seated. 
You wait to get a menu. You wait to get water. You wait to give your order. This is so much about waiting that they have professional waiters to help us with our waiting. <laughs> but waiting on God is not like that. God doesn't intend for us to think of it in those terms. Because God is not going to finally get around to your situation. God's not finally going to get, you know, uh, other details for other people settled enough where he has time finally now to focus on you. That's not the way it goes. No, he is ever ready. He is on top of the situations and has already provided what it takes for you and me to conquer anything that comes up against us. But it is those who wait on the Lord that are going to see this really come about. So what is the idea of waiting? This is so interesting. Because the idea of this word wait is to expectantly join yourself to someone or something and draw close to it, entwine yourself in it. Expectantly braiding yourself together with God is what it means really to wait. To get a picture of that, think about what any rope looks like. A rope is made up of a variety of smaller twine almost you could call it and when that twine a, a lot of them are braided together all of a sudden this twine has taken on strength and ability to pull things that any singular twine would just snap and yet you get this all together and man the strength of this has multiplied time over time over time because now that twine has been embraided and become a part of something else and it's not alone anymore. That's the idea that we braid ourselves together. We so wrap ourselves up in God's thinking, God's way of doing things, God's priorities in our life. We so wrap ourselves in that that our strength is renewed. We take on his strength. As a matter of fact, the, the idea of strength being renewed. Listen to this. The idea of being renewed, it is literally to exchange something. In other words, we exchange our lack of strength for the fullness of his strength. Those who wait bind themselves, braid themselves, wrap themselves up in him, those people will exchange their weakness for all of his ability and strength. There's an exchange that has to go on. There's an exchange that has to take place in our life. And it's not just a one-time deal. You've already come to figure out that this is something that has to go on on an ongoing basis. We are regularly facing issues, personalities, challenges, ideas, threats, lack on different levels to where each time we have to make that decision, really, fresh and new. No, 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 I'm not going to rely on myself, not in this one. I'm laying hold on the power and strength that God's put in me, and I'm going to see this through the right way. I'm going to see the power of God empower me in the name of Jesus. Now, there's times I have said that with so little convincing sound in my voice. All right, Jesus, 
I receive your strength. I am an overcomer. I overcome this by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of my testimony. Now, that would not convince anybody of anything, but I am not here to convince you of what I'm doing. I am saying what God said. I am counteracting and contradicting maybe my own feelings and all of the reasons that I have to feel those feelings. I have a right to feel this way. You don't know what happened. Well, I got a choice. I can go on pounding on my rights and end up being wrong. Or I can go ahead and even if I don't feel like it, go ahead and declare what God said. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. I feel like death would be a relief. But by his stripes, I am healed. <laughs> you guys look so strong right now. But, uh, and I'm glad. So he said, those who wait expectantly, twisting themselves up, braiding themselves, looking to him, will be refreshed, renewed, There'll be an exchange of strengths. How many of you think exchanging strengths is a good idea even for you now? How many of you think that would help maybe the situation that's going on right now? An exchange. Ooh, he's always ready. You already qualify for this. You don't have to do something else to qualify. You already qualify to receive all of this power to overcome whatever's come at you. But it still has to be acted on. It still has to be received. So then he says he renews our strength or exchanges strengths. And there's that word. That word strength again is the power, the vigor, the energy, the strength. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew the very power that they have felt too weak to believe they had. Glory to God. See, so here's where this leaves us. The Bible says, when I am weak, I am strong. So when I'm strong, I'm strong. And when I'm weak, I'm strong. <laughs> There's just no room for not being strong. Because you're either strong or you're weak. Or, uh, am, am I running too fast here? You, we're either strong or we're weak. But whether we are strong or weak, we continue to be able to say, I'm strong. Because it's not how you feel. It's what your covenant has declared. The more we understand that, the more powerful we become. The more consistent we remain. Boy, and that is what we need. Amen. It's not based on how we feel. You know, there could have been, and I'm not saying there ever has been, but there could have been a day or two in these last 40 years that one of us, Vicki or myself, woke up in the morning and said, you know, I don't really feel married. You know, I don't really feel married. Now, we've never said that to each other, so this is all speculation. But just suppose, just suppose I announced to Vicki one morning, you know, I don't really feel all that married. Do you think that's going to change the fact that we are married? <laughs> and I'm quite confident that if I ever did make that announcement to Vicki, 
she would help me to understand in very, very clear terms and immediate attention that I am, in fact, married. It's not based on how we feel. It's not based on how it looks. It's not based on, it's based on what God has said, what we have declared, what we have declared to be true. I'm, re I'm reminding you of some things today. Some of you, you've heard this many times before, but you're hearing it again. Because this is what makes people strong. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us some further light on this exact process or how this actually happens in Romans chapter 8. I want you to turn there in, in your Bible, Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, where he said, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Backing up again to verse 26, Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. This word helps, these, these uh, five letters in the original Greek text is a compound of three words nearly as long as your arm. You've got to love Greek, and we have some Greeks here, so we'll say that again. You've got to love Greek. But I am not even going to pretend to try to pronounce this word. I've done it before and had Greek people snickering at me right there in the service. <laughs> but this is a compound word. It, uh, they translated it, this little tiny word helps. The Spirit of God himself helps us in our weaknesses. But the, the, the word itself that's been translated helps gives us all kinds of clarity as to how he does that. This is so good. I'm glad I brought it up. <laughs> he helps. The first part of this compound word is that he takes hold of something. He takes hold of it. That's part of how he goes about helping us. He takes hold the second part of this word is that he not only takes hold, but he takes hold in unison with us. It's not him doing it alone. It's not us doing it alone. It is that we have been braided together and he takes hold together with us. And the last part of this compound word indicates that it is to take hold together with us and be vehemently against that weakness. He stands with us against it. He takes on our situation of weakness and stands with us against it. That's how his help comes. But now, for that to really happen, the way it's designed to happen, listen close, you yourself have to be against it. 
whatever the weakness is, you have to be against it yourself. Or else he cannot take hold together with you because you're actually not against it. Maybe you're excusing it. Maybe you've become comfortable with it. Maybe you've learned how to handle your life and remain weak. You've justified it. You've said, this is just the way I am. This is the way I've always been. Or this is the result of my circumstances. All of these years, Dennis, you have no idea what I've been going through. And what is that? Well, among other things, it is simply to say I'm not against it. We may not like things certain ways, but until we literally turn against it, the Holy Spirit really has nothing to take hold together with us over. We want God's help, but people don't position themselves in order to actually receive that help so many times because they're not actually against it. The drug addict that continues to justify his addiction, the Holy Spirit is not helping him. Not because the Holy Spirit's not available to help him, he is. But if the drug addict's not against that drug, not against that addiction, if he hasn't just finally said, this is it, I am not living this way any longer, if he had turned against it, if he's just trying to manage it, then he's going to lack that power of the Holy Spirit that has been offered to him because the Holy Spirit takes hold together with us against those things. And that's the only way the Holy Spirit works in those weak situations. You must turn against it. You got to turn against the strife in your house. But you don't know what they did. You don't know what, and you're right, I don't know. But that's really not the issue. But Dennis, you don't get it. I'm right, they're wrong. (laughs) Okay. They may be saying the exact same thing, that they're right and you're wrong. Could be, but in either case, that is actually not the issue. The strife is the issue, not the right and wrong of it. Oh, I'm glad you're excited about all these things. So we have to be against the very things that God is against. And rather than justifying why we are right, oh, look, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am you. I've been on every side of this issue, so I can speak with a lot of authority. (laughs) Because I've lived this out from every angle. (laughs) And apparently I'm the only one that would say that here in this audience. And I thank you for leaving me to hang all by myself. (laughs) But I'm a secure guy. I'll be fine. We've got to turn against these things. And when we do, the moment we do, the Holy Spirit, he's there with us. And now watch this. It goes on to say that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Oh, this is so cool. Because the idea of the Holy Spirit making intercession for us includes this idea. He literally, let's picture it this way. If I have dug myself into a hole with whatever this weakness is, I am in a hole when the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. What he does not do is stand on the edge of the hole and look down and say, man, are you in a mess? You have got yourself in really bad trouble. 
And if you'll get up here, I'll help you. No, that's not making intercession for us. Now, that's how a lot of people handle it. I'll help you if. All right, anyway. No, what does the Holy Spirit do? Here's what the Holy Spirit does, and this is the idea of intercession. He gets down in the hole with you. He falls in, and that's really this concept. He falls in with you in order to lift you. Glory to God. This is how we come out of weakness, and this is how we become strong. This is how we begin to excel come out of depressions this way you come out of heartache this way you come out of offense this way with the holy spirit falling in man he is on our side he's not he's not whipping us over the head as to how we got in this hole look at this have you been haven't you been in this hole before i think this is familiar ground in fact i think here's the Here's, here's the identifying marks that you've left over the last 40 years. You've been in here uh, many, many, many times. This is the same hole. No, 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 he doesn't go through that. Thank God. <laughs> you know, I've always taken comfort in the fact that when Jesus talked about forgiveness, he used a number, man, and this was a big one. Seven times 70. Has anybody done the math on that? It's 490 times. No, we didn't do the math. <laughs> she doesn't do math. All right. That's right. 490 times, and the point was really not keeping score. That when you hit the 491st time, you are out. We finally have run out of the grace of God. That is not the message there. The message really is that seven times 70, in essence, more than you will imagine. How many times must I forgive? That was the question. So if God said, I have to forgive 490 times, same person, same problem, well, you know he does. Glory to God. I've taken a great deal of comfort in that. That if I've done the same thing, oh gosh, man, I did that again. Are you kidding me? I've taken a great deal of comfort in knowing that what God has said about us forgiving, it is at least the way he looks at forgiving. And it's not really about the number. It's about the mindset that it is just an ongoing mindset that God has that he forgives. Glory to God. And so when I am weak, in him I'm strong. Glory to God. In him I'm strong. It's not a feeling. It's a covenant. We rely on the fact that we have that covenant that we can rely on and embrace the strength. Glory to God. Can you say amen? amen? So this is our time. This is your time. Where today, we're going to rise up in a newfound strength. That's what I believe the Holy Spirit really has brought me here to declare to you. That there is a divine, supernatural strength. Nothing new in this message. 
but there's something right on time about it. And that's all we're really interested in, what is on time for right now. That when you are up against the wall, when you feel there's no way out, Israel felt that way more than once. The classic example that we have is when Israel was in the exodus from Egypt. The Bible says they came to the edge of the sea, Pharaoh and his armies bearing down upon them. They had no place to go, hills to each side, mountains around, a sea or Pharaoh in his armies. They seemed to be completely trapped. They were in a weakened, vulnerable, no-win kind of situation. How do I get out of this? And, of course, most of Israel's answer to that was, Moses, why did you do this to us? Blame is so important to so many people. They had to know who to blame, and it couldn't be themselves. No, that, the issue wasn't anything like, here's the thing that God says. It's so powerful in Psalm 78. Because in describing that moment when they were up against the Red Sea, Pharaoh bearing down on them, and them not knowing which way to go, Psalm 78 just helps you see that God had a, a path through the sea. <laughs> Nobody was going to think of that. Moses would have been there a long time and never thought of that. Which way do I go? I know. We'll go through the sea. Now, we look back and say, well, yeah, of course, that's obvious. <laughs> because we saw the movie. But they hadn't seen the movie. God said, Moses, take that staff in your hand. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. And divide the sea with it. Have you ever even divided a swimming pool with a stick? <laughs> divide the sea with it. And Moses, to his credit, though he did question this, and he did have some concerns, he went to the edge of the sea and divided the sea with that stick. Seemed ridiculous, but it was the ultimate answer. Glory to God. So here we are in a position or in a place where maybe for you, there doesn't even seem to be a way out. This all seems completely hopeless. There is no answer here. You know, but God's got an answer that may surprise you. And that's what I want us to lay hold on right now. I want you to lay hold on something by faith, that there is strength for the weak. There is power for those that have no might. There are answers for the hopeless. There is a path when there just doesn't seem to be any direction or any way to get out of this at all. So I want you to stand with me. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do something in each one of us that opens our eyes, opens our spirit, where we can embrace this anointing of the Holy Spirit. Father, I stand before this audience, and I've given this word exactly how I believe you've designed it for, for this moment. And there are those situations all over this audience that seem to be weakened, hopeless, no answer, no strength.
No way out. And yet, Lord, we've seen it in your word today, and we are making a decision. Lift your hand right up before God and say it before him. Oh, God, I stand before you today. I make a decision that I'm drawing close to you, fresh and new, to join myself with your might and your power. I receive your ministry, Holy Spirit, that you fall in with me. I acknowledge that I need your help. And today I receive your help. That out of my innermost being, let there be rivers of life-given water. That by the Holy Spirit in me, there is a river of answers, a river of strength, a river of power that answers every lack, every issue, every weakness. And I declare it in the name of Jesus. Now receive it in Jesus' name. I receive. Say it out loud. I receive. I receive. I receive. Glory to God. Now rejoice in the Lord. There is a divine strength by the Holy Spirit unlocked inside of each one of us in Jesus' name. It just takes a moment for the Holy Spirit to actually begin to flood waters through us. Something fresh starts to happen, man. You start to get your joy back. Man, we were there last night, but this is how it feeds it. That out of your innermost being flow these rivers. And that was really something Jesus said in reference to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about, the Spirit of God falling in with us. That out of our innermost being, these rivers of living water begin to flood out of us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's vital that we begin to lay hold on the gifts of the Spirit of God and begin to speak in other tongues. This is why it's vital that we let the Holy Spirit of God do his work in us, that we give him that kind of opportunity. And we don't spend our days just focused on how bad it is and how bad we feel or how bad we've been treated or how bad it's been for my whole life or how whatever else. It's not about the pressure. It's about the deposit that is now within us. Those rivers of living water begin to come out of your innermost being. That's where the joy of salvation is restored. That's where the joy of victory is restored. That's where people that have been under pressure suddenly stand tall and strong and throw that pressure aside. They've learned how to equalize the pressure that's come against them. If you've ever been a scuba diver, you know what it means to equalize the pressure. The deeper you go... That water pressure just starts to squeeze your head and your eardrums, you can feel it, man. It doesn't take long. It just takes about 10 feet. And there's more pressure than you can handle. But then there's a, there's a way to equalize that pressure. You don't have to stop at 10 feet. There's a way to just grab your nose, blow out, and pop the pressure on the inside is greater than the pressure on the outside and deeper you go and you keep that up 
Now, of course, there is a, a limit to that, but there's no limit in God that the pressure on the outside can never supersede the force of what God's placed on the inside. This is how, these are the keys, some of the keys as to how we equalize these things. It's that ongoing process of equalizing the pressure so that you can stand up under anything if you choose to. Father, we thank you for your word and the anointing that's on it. Thank you, God, for this ministry, this church. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus.